welcome to Disclosure, one of the newest programs from the good people at The Voice of Prophecy. My name is Sean Boonstra, and for better or for worse, you're going to be listening to my voice for the next 58 minutes and roughly 6.8 seconds. And uh, I'm in studio today with my wife, Jean, who is looking as lovely as always. And um, we recently had an anniversary too, didn't we? We did. Not too yes, far back. You just know, those a few come, weeks ago. Those come every year, but I didn't blow it, right? Did I get you something, I think? Mm, we we had a, a mutual agreement just to go for dinner together, remember? Isn't that nice? Because, yeah. like, what's the point? <laughs> what's the point of buying a card? Now, here comes the man. This, is, this isn't this is really our topic today, but what in, the, what in the world is the point of buying your wife a card? The card costs $3.95. If you're lucky if you're Yeah, or $5. Yeah. And you open it up, and the person is polite for three seconds as they glance over the card. And then they throw it in the trash. It's the thought behind the cap, behind the oh, piece of paper. Oh, here's the deal. You never, ever have to get me another card. Yeah, but I like getting you cards. Uh, I don't read them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't read them. Well, my dad is in your camp, so maybe it's a male versus female thing. Do you know what would be really useful? Is if people gave each other cards and they didn't write in them, because then at least they can save them and give them to someone else. You recycle. You recard. Oh, you yeah. recard. You re-gift the card. Right. Yeah. It is fall slash winter here in Loveland. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you're listening to a rerun and it's summer, you'll just have to imagine, you know, that it is fall slash winter. Mm-hmm. And up here in the Rockies, the leaves are kind of off the trees um, and snow is in different elevations and stuff. Fall slash winter. That, Gene, is my favorite season. I oh, yeah. love fall. Do you know why? Why? Well, do you know why I love it? Because I don't have to mow the lawn anymore. Because <laughs> that's true, or you, shovel the side the sidewalk well, yeah, it's, usually it's anyway. Post lawn mowing, uh-huh. and it's it's kind of pre winter. Although here in the Rockies, you can get nailed with snow just about any time. That's it, for sure. I've had to shovel the driveway in June. Yeah, um, but we had a run of really nice weather here. Remember the end of October, we were having eighty degrees. Oh, days. I know eighty degrees. It's incredible. The, when you come from Canada, <laughs> when you come from Canada and you see eighty degrees at the end of October, I remember yeah. that day. It hits eighty degrees at the end of October, mm-hmm. and um, and in Canada. It doesn't hit 80 degrees in July. It just doesn't. No, that's you know, true. Not unless right you're up. No, yeah. unless you're laying on aluminum foil. You know, then yeah. it might hit 80. Um, up there, it, uh, you know, as a Canadian, I was too hot any time the temperature broke 70. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, what a heat wave. <laughs> and to this day, I keep that. Anyway, we're not talking about, we're talking about fall. Yes. Uh, cold air at night you can sleep and the best part of all it's pumpkin season in the fall yeah and everything good season. yeah i don't like mm-hmm. sweets i don't like sweets but pumpkin pie there's something about that i know that's not everybody's favorite but it is my Definitely favorite yours and yeah. your birthday's in october too so you like lots Shh, of things don't about tell people fall. when my birthday is i don't have birthdays <laughs> i'm going to be forever 18 oh yeah. i haven't aged a day since my high school well, graduation share that secret if yeah. you could <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I love this time of year too, Sean. And I think it's the time of year that people start thinking about another thing, and that is being thankful. Yep, Thanksgiving season. Thanksgiving season. Maybe we're thinking about football and family holidays, days off, but the real focus tends to be thankfulness. Yep. And I know that Thanksgiving, that's your favorite Oh, holiday. yeah, hands down. Hands down. And, of course, I'm the Grinch in our house. I'm the Scrooge in our house. I hate just about every holiday out there, um, except you know, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, hands down, far and away, my favorite. It's the holiday I look forward to most every year. And why? Well, uh, all right, here we're going to go. If we get started <laughs> down this path, this is going to turn into an entire show about why Sean hates holidays. But um, but let's do a little okay. survey. Let's do a little survey of the whole year. Maybe this okay. is a good thing. Maybe this is a public service. All right, let's start in February. 
Valentine's Day. Oh, Let's that's... be really honest. What man likes Valentine's Day? No man likes Valentine's no. Day. All the guys in the control booth are shaking their heads like, no, we hate <laughs> Valentine's Day too. It's mandatory though. We have to get a card and, oh. and some chocolates really? and some flowers. Oh, and... the romantic yeah. feelings here oh, no, are no, just no. overwhelming. Valentine's Day. Look, it's obligatory. You've got to go out. You better have that card and some flowers or you're sleeping on the couch. You're out in the, you're sleeping in the garage. Not really. No. I'm pretty practical. You got really? pretty lucky well, look, with look, me as a wife. I love my Valentine. Mm-hmm. I do love, you're my Valentine. I love you. Um, you know, I, I, when I said, I will stay with you, I love you for the rest of your life, I said that at my wedding, and I meant it then, and that should hold for all eternity. Uh, it's been like a quarter century almost. You're the find of a lifetime, but do I love Valentine's Day? No, no man loves Valentine's Day. And uh, if you're a man who loves Valentine's Day, we'd love to hear from you. You know, just go ahead. Write us at, you know, I don't think this pile of letters is going to be all that big. No, but our daughters love it. I remember course, when they were little, just, it was their favorite. You're, you're, just, you're just making my point for me. Okay, yes. let's move forward. March, March, March. Okay, okay. March. Well, this is going to be the holiday show. It is the holidays, and so we're going to relax a little bit and talk. St. Patrick's Day in March. Not really. You don't get the day off on St. Really Patrick's Day. And yeah. I kind of like this one. I give this one maybe five out of ten. Right, not for the reasons that you might think. I've got an Irish first name. I don't think my parents knew it was Irish when they picked it. Uh, I'm actually Dutch, but um, and and I don't like it because I you know I don't care about wearing green. I don't want to put you know construction paper shamrocks on the wall. Um, I don't want to, but I kind of like St. Patrick's Day for who St. Patrick actually was historically. Mm-hmm. I mean, the real St. Mm-hmm. Patrick. So not the St. Patrick we hear about that drove the snakes out of Ireland? No. Come on, man. <laughs> not even close. Patrick. Let me tell you about St. Patrick. This okay. isn't really the topic today. We're eventually going to, it's the holidays. I hope everyone can relax and enjoy this talk as well as us. But mm-hmm. Patrick in the, um, oh, I'm going to say the fifth century at the beginning of the 400s, his name is Patricius. He's um, He is the son of a British deacon, uh, grew up in a Christian family, but at 16 years of age, he gets kidnapped by Irish pirates. I mean, the Irish were the most feared slave traders in the world at this time. They used to sneak into the house, and they'd be gone with your kids before you ever woke up. Mm-hmm. So Patrick gets abducted, taken back to Ireland. He works as a slave. He's a shepherd, and uh, and he's got a lot of time to himself out in the fields watching the sheep, and he becomes a believer himself because he has all this time to pray. Mm-hmm. Then he he escapes. He has this dream urging him. It's, he can leave if he wants. He walks 200 miles to the shore, gets on a boat, and he leaves. Mm-hmm. He goes to, we think, to Gaul, what we would today call France, and he becomes a, um, a clergyman. He gets into the ministry, and then he moves back to Britain to be with his family forever. However, he also has another call, a dream saying, you've got to come back to Ireland. So the real St. Patrick goes back to Ireland, and he brings Christianity, a biblical, a very biblical Christianity, to the Irish, you know, barbarians, the Celts. Mm -hmm. And so, look, I'm going to give St. Patrick's Day a solid B-plus on the realm of holidays, because (laughs) it's got Bible roots. It's a real Bible, you know, it's March 17. Okay. Um, And nobody out there is actually celebrating St. Patrick. They're just using it as an excuse to drink green beer in March in the streets of Chicago and Boston, but yeah. but I'm giving it a B plus as a preacher. Okay, because you like Patrick. Yeah. Got it. Yep. Yep. So springtime, what about Easter? Okay, Easter. Well, I'm going to give good marks to Easter. How can a preacher not give good marks to Easter, right? Even though we know for sure Easter weekend is not when Jesus rose from the dead. No question about it. He did not rise on the Easter weekend. That's true. Why do you say that? Though? Well, I say, look, take a look mm-hmm. at the date. Mm-hmm. Check it on the calendar. Easter's never the same date every year. Mm-hmm. This comes as a surprise to some people when they look, but some years it's in March, some years it's in April. I think it even every so often drifts all the way into the beginning of May. I don't know that for sure, but I seem to remember it. So we know that can't be the anniversary of the resurrection because mm-hmm. we know when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified in the Passover season in the Jewish month of Nisan. Not mm-hmm. Nisan with two S's like the car, Nisan with one S. It's the name of a Jewish month on the 14th 
of Nisan, right? So there's a definite time when he was crucified, a definite time when he rose from the dead on the third day. Right. But if you look at Easter, Easter always falls on the first Sunday after the first full moon, after the spring equinox. Right. And that's why it's a right. floating holiday, yeah, as they a, call it. a floating holiday, yeah. right? A floating mm-hmm. feast. It actually comes from pagan roots, the date, and um, because it was tied to Ishtar or Istre in, in, in the Germanic tribes. Um, and again, nobody who's celebrating Easter is trying to be a pagan or worship a pagan goddess. They just sort of pick that date to, they replace the date with a date for the resurrection of Christ. And Obviously, I'm going to love any holiday that talks about my Jesus. I'm yeah. just going to love that holiday. Jesus rose from the dead, and because of that, you and I have a future. Right. Interestingly enough, though, the reason we have the, this floating date for Easter goes back to Patrick. Huh. Aha, okay. see how I brought that full okay. circle? How you see so? how I did that? That's how a master of radio does it. <laughs> I will right. learn. Yeah. Okay. The Celtic Church developed in isolation outside of the influence of Rome. And uh, for about 200 years. Mm -hmm. Then they all meet up. And in 664, there's a major clash at the Synod of Whitby. And that took place during the late 500s and 600s. And they're trying to reconcile the Roman Church and the Celtic Church. Um, Roman missionaries had started working in Britain. And when they got there, they discovered this entire Christian church that already existed because of Patrick's work. But there was a problem because Mediterranean Christianity from Rome had already... Well, it already gone through the transition where Christianity compromised with Constantine, and they mm-hmm. developed some traditions and customs that the Celts didn't have because the, all the Celts had was a copy of the Bible. So, long story short, the Celts remembered the resurrection of Jesus at a different time and date than the Romans were using. Okay. Um, and I think their date actually fell on the same date each year on the old Julian calendar. They actually celebrated it somewhere on... Well, they they went and looked for the month Nisan, and they celebrated it somewhere between the 14th and the 20th, if I if I remember right. Interesting. And then there was a big compromise, and the Celts lost, and the Romans won, and so. But we know the date's got to be wrong. We know there are absolutely pagan influences in the. In, in, look at the holiday itself. Sure. Right. What do Easter's Easter bunnies and eggs have to do with Jesus? Nothing. That's a hangover <laughs> right, from right. pagan. But here's what I will say about it. I'm going to give it a a good grade because I'm glad that at least for one weekend, millions of people are finally thinking about the resurrection of Jesus, right? At least in Mm -hmm. theory, they are. Mm -hmm. Is it my favorite, though, my personal favorite? No, Jesus is my personal favorite topic. No question about it. But Easter, my favorite? No, not my favorite holiday. Halloween? Not a chance, right? Not even. It's got all kinds of problems. I mean, it's just Halloween bothers me. Celebration of death and spiritualism and so on. That makes sense. Christmas? Okay. You know, Christmas, we've talked about this on other programs. Probably, you know, not the right day for Jesus' birth. We borrowed that from, you know, ancient pagan traditions as well. And there's nothing wrong with celebrating the birth of Christ. I'm glad that people pay attention at least once a year. But Christmas, the reason I squirm a little bit, um, it's so commercial. It it has become very commercial. I agree And what bothers me, it puts Mm -hmm. all this pressure on families that might not be able to afford the extravagance that the advertisers are promising their children on TV. Mm -hmm. And they look at other families that really dish out things for their kids, and they don't want their kids to feel left out. And so they actually go into debt over over Christmas. Which is and, very sad. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah it's not right. Something's not right no. with that. So yeah. is Christmas my favorite? No. All the women in my house, they like it like they like Valentine's Day. You know, Let's put some lights up, and, and let's well, light the fireplace, and drink hot drinks, and all this stuff that, no, yuck. You know, I just... <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I love... The decor and the coziness of Christmas, and I know our daughters do too. But I have to tell you, as the mother of the family, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday too because every other one comes with expectations. And Thanksgiving... The doesn't, least adulterated of the holidays. Yeah. I love what goes on this time of year mm-hmm. because this is one day it can just be about God. It can just be about how thankful you are. That's right. 
right? And of course, I know most people use it for football and big dinners and all that stuff, right? But and that's okay. There is no biblical Thanksgiving. You know, it's not prescribed, and you can use the day however you want. But for me. It's the original intent behind Thanksgiving. It's a modern holiday. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm talking the last few centuries that Mm -hmm. it really grew into existence. But it's just about being thankful. And I think that's a Christian virtue that our world desperately needs. It's lacking. Look, we have more material wealth than any previous generation. The average person in North America today actually lives better than any nobleman in the Middle Ages in Europe. We're wealthy. Uh, We live better than most of the world here in North America. And yet, for some reason, we're less happy. We seem less happy than any previous generation. We seem to be more disgruntled, more entitled, far less content, hands down, less thankful. And so here's yeah. one day a year you can set it aside and um, and just be thankful. Just just enjoy a meal together and spend time with those that well, you care about. Yeah. This yeah, could be wonderful. this can be, if you do it right, a purely Christian holiday. Yes. It can just be about family and thankfulness. And, and, and so on. And I think that's really something our society needs. Maybe if we were to keep Thanksgiving as a festival of Thanksgiving, maybe we'd be a little happier in North America. We've got more, and we're actually less happy than any generation that's gone before. I hear the music, Gene, and so I'm going to be thankful right now that we've got a break coming up because I can take a little drink of water without people hearing the slurping sounds in my microphone. <laughs> but as soon as we come back, let's talk about thankfulness, and let's talk about why North America is so unhappy or seems yeah. so unhappy. In spite of the fact that we have more than any generation that's gone before us. You're listening to Disclosure. We're talking about Thanksgiving, hoping you're enjoying the holiday season. We'll be right back after this break. Creation. Evolution. Where did the world come from? Where did you come from? Were you created in an instant? Did you evolve from another animal or life species? These are issues that are discussed in classrooms, textbooks, and sometimes around your break table at work when the conversation suddenly turns serious. These kinds of questions are answered in our free Discover Bible Guides. These 26 beautifully illustrated guides cover all the major themes of the Bible and they answer some of the hardest questions of life. You can get your free copy just for the asking by contacting me. Go to VOP.com and click on the tab that says Study. That's VOP.com, the tab that says Study. Or phone me, 888-456-7933. That's 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides, available just for the asking. And welcome back to Disclosure. I'm Sean Boonstra. I'm in studio with my wife, Jean. We're talking about thankfulness. And uh, Jean was grilling me on what my favorite holiday was. Hands down, it's this time of year. It is the Thanksgiving holiday. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And we hope that you are enjoying some time with your family and loved ones this holiday season, as we are planning to do as well. And, Sean, you know, before the break, we were talking about the fact that now, today, um, we are incredibly 
wealthy and privileged. Even by the poorest com- among us. Right. By comparison to those who have lived before us. Each, right. each of us is. And yet our generation, we seem to struggle. We don't seem to be content and happy. Why do you think that is? Well, I don't know how we, if we can easily summarize uh, why so many people are unhappy in just one program. But mm-hmm. biblically speaking, I think, Gene, the baseline problem with being perpetually discontented well, it stems from an unhealthy preoccupation with yourself. It's it, that, That's the issue. It seems like the more you focus on how happy you are, um, on how much you're getting out of life, and that's what I hear from people all the time, what am I getting out of this? The more you focus on that, the less happy you actually become. It's almost like a... Um, well, it's a paradox. Mm-hmm. The harder you work on your own happiness, it seems the less happy and thankful you actually are. And I know that in America we have a we're, we're fortunate. We live in a great place. I wasn't born in America. I'm delighted to live here today. Um, and one of the things I appreciate is that in America we have a guaranteed right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And those are good things. That's the way it should be. I don't want anybody in charge of me telling me how to live my life. And right. trust me, you don't want me running your life for you either. Right. Everybody ought to have the space to relate to God on their own terms. Yeah. Um, and so the founding fathers actually of America gave us a place or gave Americans a place, if you're listening outside the country, gave Americans a place where they get to determine the course of their own lives. Uh, my life, at least in theory, is not going to be dictated to me by a king. It's mm-hmm. not going to be dictated by a religious authority either, unless that's what I want voluntarily, right? This is virtually unprecedented in the history of the world, where True. individuals are the government, yeah. and um, and they're free. I'm utterly free to pursue what I want with my life. I've got one short lifetime. It belongs to me, and I'm free to pursue it and live according to the dictates of my conscience. But, and here's the important thing. Okay. This is the important biblical point now. And I'm talking specifically to people of faith. Mm-hmm. If you spend your one lifetime pursuing your own happiness, here's what happens you eventually discover there's no bottom to that pit. You will never cross the finish line. Your ego is a bottomless pit that the more you feed it, the more it wants, and you never, ever hit this line where you go, wow, I'm happy now. I fed myself enough. I gave myself enough things that I'm truly content and happy. If, you, you know, if, if, if you've got a little bit early in life and you think, man, if I only had a decent income, then you get a decent income and you think, if only I had a bigger income, then you get right. a bigger income and you think, right. if only I was rich. And it has nothing to do with happiness in well, the end. we've seen examples of that so often of people who, by our standards, we would think have everything, and, right. and yet they're not happy. There's some they're of the unhappy. Not, not always. Some are no, very no, happy. Not always, but there are certainly yep. lots of examples where yep. fame, fortune does not buy that happiness. So I can agree with your statement absolutely that this um, search for happiness is sort of a bottomless well, pit. Well, it's a paradoxical but, thing. You'll never yeah, hit it. You'll never right. get there. Never, never reach that point. So... Let's explore this a little bit more from the Bible. Why wouldn't the pursuit of happiness actually work? Why can't a person eventually get what they want out of life and make themselves happy, biblically well, speaking? Let's see if we can break this down. I'm a preacher, so I want to have three parts in a prayer like a sermon, right? But, <laughs> okay. But, but let's break this down. Let's make point number one. Let's go back to the very beginning. Let's look at the original plan for the human race the way God designed it. In the original plan, when God placed us in paradise, he was going to live for our good, and we were going to live for his good. It was this symbiotic, synergistic, selfless arrangement. And without sin in the picture, it works completely well. You can live completely for someone else, man living to the glory of God and God living for the good of, of, of man. Without sin in the equation, it actually works. And that was 
the original arrangement. You're focused on other. Mm -hmm. And there's where pure joy came from. I like to think of the words in the old Westminster Catechism. Um, and that, those are, of you who are from certain Christian traditions know what that is. It's one of the Reformation documents that comes from the tradition I happen to grow up in. And the Westminster Catechism starts with this statement, Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, I know the Westminster Catechism was a man-made document, and I want to be really careful about locking our, you know, our beliefs, our doctrines into man-made creeds and confessions. But the authors of the Westminster Shorter Catechism actually took that statement, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. They took it right out of the pages of the Bible. It's a, it's a profoundly biblical statement. Yeah, well, I, I, I love it. I think it is an excellent principle. So which what is it based out of? Where did they get this right, from? Right, right. So one of the biggest influences behind that statement, when the authors of that catechism hundreds of years ago wrote mm-hmm. this down, one of the biggest influences was Psalm 16. So Psalm 16. for Thanksgiving, okay. let's take a look at Psalm 16 as as, as a Bible study today. Okay. And if you're, you're at home and you've got your Bible handy and you've got a little bit of time off, or maybe you're listening to the podcast on iHeartRadio or off of the Voice of Prophecy website, maybe you're you're having that post-Thanksgiving uh, meal slumber and your eyes are getting a little heavy, grab a Bible, lay on the couch and listen to this. Follow sure. along. Psalm 16. Look at okay. this. This actually, the psalm describes God's ideal relationship to the human race. Okay, verse 5. O Lord, says the psalmist, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. Mm-hmm. So, in an ideal relationship, in the original plan, God makes himself responsible for our well-being. He is our inheritance. He is our lot. And, of course, God does a flawless job at keeping people happy if you sure. let him do that job. Verse 6, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. So, verse 5 and 6, there's God's relationship to us, right? God will keep us happy. He's our inheritance. Mm-hmm. If we let him do that job, we will find complete contentment and joy. Now it moves on to the other side of the equation, our responsibility toward God. Verse 7. We're in Psalm 16. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad. Mm -hmm. There's the spirit of Thanksgiving right there. Mm -hmm. This is a great verse for Thanksgiving. Therefore, my heart is glad. My glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. I will bless the Lord. We always talk about, will God bless us? But you know, if you read the Bible, the psalmist often will say, I want to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. It's a two-way street. So God watches out for our well-being, and in return, we live to the glory of God. Now it moves on. Look at this in verse 10. It moves on to a messianic prophecy, which also applies to us because while it's about to predict the resurrection of Christ, we also are going to take part in the resurrection one day, according to you know, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15. Psalm 16, verse 10. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol. That's the Old Testament realm of the dead. It really means the grave. There was no understanding that they were someplace living out new lives. It was just the grave. Jacob wished he could go. Uh, Job wished he could go to Sheol. Jacob said he was going to go there. Mm-hmm. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. So this is a reference to the death and resurrection of Christ. Jesus was in the grave short time. His body didn't corrupt. Verse 11. You will show me the path of life. Listen to this. In your presence is fullness of joy. Hmm. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So it puts it in the context of a relationship with God. 
real joy, real contentment comes from a symbiotic, selfless relationship mm-hmm. with God. Mm-hmm. In the language of the covenant in the Old Testament, right, and you find this language all through the Bible, God's original plan was simple. You find it again and again and again and again in these words. I will be to you a God, and you shall be to me a people. Right. That was the plan in Eden. Yeah. It was the plan for the children of Israel. It's yeah. the plan for the New Testament church. And by the time this world is finished, we get that perfect relationship back. Listen to how the Bible ends. Okay. Right? Revelation 21. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. So God intends to move back in with us. Mm -hmm. They shall be his people. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. There it is again. God's going to restore that original relationship from before sin where he will be a God to us and we will be a people to him. And in that arrangement, verse 4, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, no more pain. The former things have passed away. So we're moving back into that ideal relationship that we were created for. In the original relationship, we lived for God, Mm -hmm. and he lived for us. He made himself responsible for us. There was no self in that equation. So there's point number one. Right. We've become discontented because we quit living for other, and we started living for self. It's a broken relationship. That's not the way we were designed. So, sin then enters the picture. Here's the second phase of of what I want to talk about. Okay. See, I'm going to get a three-point sermon out of this. (laughs) Three-point sermon. Three points in a prayer. You know you're in church when you get three points in a prayer. Yeah. (laughs) Sin enters the picture, and the whole ideal relationship breaks. Our mode of existence changes. We choose to believe this lie from a fallen angel that God does not have our best interest at heart. Is that what God told you? He told you that if you eat from that tree, you're going to die? No, no, he's holding out on you. You're going to become incredibly wise. You'll be like God himself. He's lying to you. So what do we do? We quit trusting God. We take Satan's word over God's. So, in other words, we take control of our own lives and make ourselves responsible for our own happiness. Exactly. Exactly. God's no longer responsible for our happiness. We'll take care of it from here. We think we can make ourselves happier than God can Mm -hmm. make us. It's a lie. So flawed. And so we break that symbiotic relationship and our focus is on us. We've bought into this lie that you can make yourself happy. Right. But as we've already mentioned, that's a bottomless pit. When are you ever done feeding your ego? Yeah. It doesn't work, no. right? You're never going to hit the end of it because the one thing that makes people truly happy, a symbiotic relationship with the Creator, that one thing that will actually make you happy is now missing. The relationship is broken. So what do we do? Well, we try to fill the vacuum with substitutes. Sure. Well, yeah. What's going to make me happy? Things, yeah. usually. Mm-hmm. So we fill our life with stuff, right? Things, right, right. as you say. But yeah. stuff's going to lay you down. Stuff wears out. Stuff doesn't live up to the promise of the people who sold it to you. That's right. I mean, when have you ever bought something that lived up to the ad? It's all a lie, right? Right. Stuff breaks. There's going to be people who have more stuff than you, or they have better stuff than you. So then when we give up on stuff, we try and entertain ourselves to make ourselves happy. And that's particularly true of our generation, right? We're the entertainment, digital entertainment age. But then again, at the end of the show, when the credits are rolling and the curtain goes down or the orchestra packs it up for the night, there you are. You're still alone. You're by yourself. The entertainment kept you happy for what, 45 minutes, an hour and 15 minutes? Mm Mm-hmm. But at the end, you're more lonely than you were before because you had this moment of excitement. It holds out this promise that, hey, maybe you could be happier, but now you're more lonely than you ever have been. Mm -hmm. So so we fill it up with stuff. Mm -hmm. We fill it up with stuff. You know, um, there's a lot of truth to that, Sean, because even when it comes to 
primetime TV and this entertainment you talked about. We seem to spend more time with those entertainers often than we do with our own friends and family. It seems to be a pattern. Um, We don't necessarily have as many real friends in our life as as previous generations did. It's kind of a tragedy. There are so many people now that know more about their favorite TV characters than they know about real people in the real world. There are people who hang out with TV families more than they hang out with their own family. And so it's even worse than just not being a relationship with God. It's actually taken away some of the things that God has blessed us with. So, first of all, we we had this original arrangement. We live for the glory of God, and God lives to make us content and happy. And then we break that. So then we try to fill that. We told ourselves, we'll run our lives. I can make me happy. And you spend your whole life trying to make you happy, and you never get there. The pursuit of happiness is a complete impossibility. You will never arrive at that finish point. I think that's a right that ought to be guaranteed to people because I don't want anyone else trying to figure out what makes me happy either. Agreed. Right? Yeah. But you making you happy, you making you content, it's never going to work. Okay, we've got to take a break. And uh, you can always remember, you can get this whole show at the podcast at uh, voiceofprophecy.com. We'll be right back after this. Are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions? Like, where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Does my life really matter to God? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers in guides like A Second Chance at Life. You'll find answers to the things that matter the most to you. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. Welcome to the back half of this episode of Disclosure. We're talking about Thanksgiving and the Thanksgiving holiday, and we're talking about genuine thankfulness and contentment. And just before the break, Gene and I were talking about the fact that we have broken the perfect relationship we once had with God. And because of that, we start to try and find other things that will make us happy. You know, it was the original arrangement was God lives for our joy and we live for his glory. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that's been broken, people try and fill their lives with other things. They fill their life with people. Um, and obviously, you should have good quality friends. That's part of a normal existence because good friends will enrich your experience. But if you're trying to substitute human relationships for the one that we used to have with God, it's going to fall flat because. Every other human being out there also lives for self. They're going to let you down at some point, right? I live for self. You live for self. We all do, to varying degrees, of course, because, you know, you can meet people who are more selfish than others, but we all do it. So eventually human beings are going to let you down. And that's one of the big problems that I have with the cult of personality in American religion today. We tend to base all our, our, our church or our religious experience on one preacher who's charismatic, but that one preacher is also a selfish, sinful human being who's going sure. to let you down. who's flawed. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. in some ways, when we create a cult of personality in American religion, what we're really doing is creating a substitute for God, and that's going mm-hmm. to fail. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Right. 
you know, and we, and we search to fill this void that only God can fill. And, you know, Sean, some people clearly try to fill that, that void with looking for happiness and purpose and things like maybe, um, gambling, mind altering drugs, inappropriate relationships, right. anything Sex, that, drugs, rock and roll. Yeah, there you go. It's sort of anything that lets them forget and escape that emptiness that, only God can give us because, as you described, he created us to be happy yeah. in that relationship state. Right on the money. Right yeah. on the money. I, yeah. I, I think this might be part of the reason I find the Christmas season so disheartening at times. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm all about remembering Jesus came into this world and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but the world pretends that they, they, you know, Christmas time is about Jesus. But really, it becomes so materialistic for a lot of people, and they're trying to buy happiness with stuff. Now, don't get me wrong, folks. I think it's wonderful to buy your children gifts and to celebrate family. Those are positive things. But it's become this expectation that you're going to get stuff at Christmas. And then we get all these YouTube videos of these spoiled kids who didn't get the right video game for Christmas, and they throw it across the room. And I, I know. It's a, that it, bothers well, they, they me because our no. kids have never been like that, and no, I'm so I know. It's an extreme example. It, yeah, it, it, it comes out every Christmas, and I'll admit I've watched it on YouTube. I, yeah. I, I admit that there's something about it. I, it's like a train wreck. I can't help watch it. It's an extreme <laughs> example. These yeah. kids throwing a temper tantrum and screaming at their parents that they didn't get the right thing. Um, and, and I have the faith to believe that most families aren't like that, but it does illustrate how futile the personal pursuit of happiness can be. Yeah, definitely. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the yeah. most vivid descriptions of how empty our own attempts to find happiness are is in the book of Ecclesiastes. Okay. I wish we had time to read the whole book, but, mm-hmm. but let's mm-hmm. read this. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 3. Okay. What profit has a man from all his labors in which he toils under the sun? In other words, I'm spending my whole life building things and working hard. What's the point? Mm-hmm. What's the point? Mm-hmm. We all get there at some point. Why yeah. am I doing this? It's usually about right around age. 40. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Verse 4. One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south, toward the north. The wind whirls about continually and yet comes again to its circuit. All the rivers, this is verse 7, all mm-hmm. the rivers run into the sea. Yet the sea is not full. Mm -hmm. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. So what he's saying, in essence, is, hey, life is kind of meaningless. I'm going to build stuff. I'm going to accomplish things. But one day, I'm going to die, and this whole planet's going to forget that I was ever alive. I'm going to be a tombstone. I'm going to be a name on a tombstone. And in a generation or two, no one will even know who I was, and they won't care. Right. 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 The planet's going to go on after I'm done. Future human beings are going to live their lives. They won't even know I accomplished all this stuff. And I love Ecclesiastes. I think this is one of the most powerful expressions of meaningless ever written. Mm -hmm. Now, I want you to listen carefully to verse 8 because this makes the big point. All things are full of labor. Men cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. if your whole purpose in life is to pursue your own fulfillment, to make yourself happy, you're going to discover what is just said. You're never going to get to the bottom. The eye is not satisfied with hearing. You're never going to see the thing finally that goes, ah, now I'm happy. You're never going to hear the thing that you say, now I can die happy. It's not going to happen. You can't fill a sinful heart up. It's a bottomless pit. It's never going to happen. No matter what you reward yourself with, it's never going to be enough Mm -hmm. because you cannot replace the profound sense of purpose that we tossed aside when we threw away a meaningful relationship with the Creator God. Yeah, You can't fill that. You can't replace God with stuff. So true. And this this reminds me, Sean, of a passage from... 
confessions, Augustine's confessions, where he, remember, he tried a life of pleasure seeking and he found it completely empty. And he finally comes to this conclusion. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Yeah, that's that's one of the most famous statements in Christian history. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Mm -hmm. That is is, in essence, a great summary of what we've been talking about. You will never find what makes you happy if you're still apart from God. Mm-hmm. Augustine wasn't the only one. I, I just so happened, just so happened to have a quote from Blaise Pascal. Can you <laughs> okay. hear the paper? Well, I, I love the it. Philosopher. Pascal was a wonderful, he was a philosopher, but he was a believer. Yep. So share yep. it with us. He was. Listen mm-hmm. to this. Listen to this. It's almost like we set this up, right? You bring up Augustine and then I bring up Pascal. Oh, we don't do that. It's like, no, it's like we did, we did a little homework before the show and it was all planned. Yeah, well, all hey, right. don't admit that. Listen to this. Mm-hmm. This is this is powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. He writes in his thoughts, pensé, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is book seven, page 425 or paragraph. Okay. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? But that there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. Beautiful. It Mm -hmm. is, right? So nothing you grab hold of in this life is big enough to fill the gap that God left behind. Right. 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 Augustine and Pascal were pointing their audiences back to that profoundly scriptural principle. You're only happy when you're glorifying God and he's making himself responsible for your fulfillment. Mm-hmm. That's how we right. were designed to be and to oh, experience exactly. happiness. Right. Remember remember what Jesus said in John chapter 7 during the Feast of Tabernacles. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the Feast of Tabernacles points forward to the second coming of Christ. Um, they would all live in booths and so on. And it's the language God uses at the end of the Bible. I'm going to come and tabernacle with you. I'm going to live, live with, with you, you again. Right. right? Yeah. And the Feast of Tabernacles pointed forward to that day when that broken relationship with God would be, would be fully restored. And at the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus says this in John 7, verse 37. As they're celebrating God living with his people, God bringing his people home, God restoring that broken relationship, verse 37. On the last day, this is John 7, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Mm. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Right? So mm-hmm. he's pointing, really, it, the, the context tells us that he's pointing forward to when the Holy Spirit would come at Pentecost. And he says, look, if you're thirsty, if you notice something's lacking in your life, the only place to quench that thirst is me, it's Jesus. is Jesus. Yeah. And if you accept the gift of forgiveness and you ask God to restore that broken relationship, suddenly living water begins to flow out of your heart and you find genuine happiness and contentment. Now you have something to be thankful for. Ah. And, and that is the answer. And you've summarized well. We know what the essential problem is, and that's self. Right. And the more we focus on ourselves, the less happy we become. I, I've experienced that many times in my life. And that's how, you know, it seems a generation seems to have everything. Um, and yet we're, we're so unhappy. I've seen little kids miserable at Disneyland, of all things. Yeah. We're, we're the, some of the most entitled people in the history of the world. So now let's go back to the subject of Thanksgiving. Because it seems to me that when we have this entire holiday dedicated to being thankful, to having an attitude of gratitude, as some uh-huh, say. There's your poem. I knew you were going to work in some poetry. <laughs> oh, you did, did you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, this time of year is a really good opportunity to work on that 
symbiotic relationship that we were intended to have with God, wouldn't you say? Exactly. This is why I love this holiday. This is a great opportunity to reconnect with God. It's it's like an extra Sabbath. I mean, in our mm-hmm. house, we observe the Bible Sabbath, and I always call it a weekly Thanksgiving. We're just spending 24 hours with God. You could do this with your Thanksgiving. You could take this day and be thankful and spend time with God and think about what it means to get back into that relationship. Thanks to the blood of Christ, we're invited back into that original relationship where we'll find genuine contentment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, there's nothing in the Bible that talks about observing Thanksgiving. It's a modern holiday, but yeah. the concept is biblical and it's powerful. Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. This is why I love it. It's got, it's got the most biblical theme of all the holidays. If we could cultivate an attitude of thankfulness, it would go a long ways towards moving yourself out of the picture and focusing on what God means to you. Yeah. You, you said it yeah. so, so clearly. Self is the problem. And if you try to make yourself happy, you're actually spending more time on the problem. The problem was our focus was on self. Mm-hmm. And by trying to make yourself happy, you're making the problem worse by the day. Yeah, so true. So what mm-hmm. if we took the Thanksgiving holiday and talked about what God means to us? I mean, we live in a world where a lot of people tout what they have done. I built this. I made that. I've done this with my life, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. Look, at is this not great Babylon that I built? Mm-hmm. Right. And to a point, I guess it's good. I mean, uh, it's good to take responsibility for your life. And I'll congratulate people that work hard and sure. accomplish things in their Absolutely. life. But past that point, mm-hmm. where we realize that other people don't owe us a living, right? And we take responsibility for our own lives. Mm-hmm. Um But if we can't figure out that you and I wouldn't even be breathing apart from the gift of life that only God can give, if you can't be thankful for what God has given you, you will not find genuine happiness. Mm -hmm. And I think Thanksgiving is the perfect opportunity to cultivate not just an attitude of thankfulness, but an attitude of dependence on God. If you did that right, this holiday could be a huge opportunity to capture the essence of who we're supposed to be as God's children. What if we spent the day talking about the fact that we gave up paradise and Jesus gave his life for us? We have everything to be thankful for. We've got a, a paradise restored that's coming. Yes. Um, and even though we're not yet living in the kingdom that Jesus has promised, what if we spent Thanksgiving um, living like we're already there, mm-hmm. right? We can mm-hmm. actually live this life like we're already in the kingdom because it's been promised to us in Jesus Christ. Yeah. What a great way to spend the Thanksgiving holiday. By all means, you know, watch the football game. That's fine. And, <laughs> sure. and have the big meal and hang out with family. But what if it was a day where you actually cultivated actual... That's what it's called for crying out sideways. It's Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes. What if you were thankful to the only one who has given you everything? The Bible says we have our life and breath and mm-hmm. where everything is in Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's not only the creator... Colossians 1 says he's the sustainer of all life. You and I wouldn't have woken up today if it wasn't for him. That's Let's right. start by th- being thankful for our lives and the opportunity we have to be in the kingdom forever. Yeah. I know many families have traditions of, of speaking about what they're thankful for around their tables as they're gathered for a holiday meal. We often talk about our health, yep. our family. Yep. Let's turn our attention to our creator who gave us all of those wonderful things as well. What a blessing that would be. What a day this could be. You could come out Mm -hmm. of the other end of Thanksgiving genuinely happy. Genuinely happy. Mm -hmm. And that is a rare commodity in this world. A Mm -hmm. rare commodity indeed. So, Thanksgiving is a uh, festival of thankfulness and finding contentment, genuine contentment in God. Now, we've got to take another quick break. Let's talk about how to be thankful when we come back when life is not all that great. Because this is the genuine gift that God gives you. You can learn to be content no matter what's going on. You can have a horrible life. A horrible life. 
and it could still work out well. So today we're talking about Thanksgiving, folks. I'm hoping you're enjoying your holidays. This is Disclosure. I'm Sean Boonstra, and I'm sitting in studio with Gene Boonstra, the actual talent in this program. And uh, we're going to take a little break and give you something else to be thankful uh, for from the good people at The Voice of Prophecy. And then right after that, we'll come back and we'll talk a little more about the Thanksgiving holiday and what you could do with it. Are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions like, where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers in guides like, Does My Life Really Matter to God? and A Second Chance at Life. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. is the Thanksgiving season. Unless you're listening to this in a podcast, it might be after the Thanksgiving season. But I think you can celebrate Thanksgiving all year long if you um, if you do it right and in a biblical sense. So we were talking about the fact that we never really find contentment apart from God, and that genuine contentment comes by restoring that original relationship where God lives for our good and we live for His glory. Yes, yes. And you know, Sean, when we talk about being thankful, you mentioned before the break not all of us, hardly any of us, have a rosy life where we don't have challenges and right. significant challenges and hurdles in our lives. But when I think about that, I'm reminded of this idea of being content. Right. And of course, I always think of the writings of Paul and what he says about being content. Um now, if there was ever someone who had good reasons to not be content, definitely it was Paul. You know, he was highly educated. He had a promising, advancing career when he was young, and he gave it all up for a life of dedication to God's service. Well, a life of hardship, really. Absolutely. Very often hardship. Um, let's look at Second Corinthians chapter 11. Okay. Let's pick it up in verse 25 uh, and look a little bit at what Paul went through in his journey. Okay. Verse 25 says, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often. In perils of waters. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in this the a long sea. List. <laughs> It's just, there's a theme, isn't there? In perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Wow, it reads like a horror show. This doesn't sound like a pleasant life no, at all. it doesn't. And most of us probably would not find a reason to be happy or thankful in the circumstances that Paul found himself right. in. No, who could be happy? Well, I, I, I think we can because... 
Paul wouldn't have traded any of this for his old life. Now, I happen to agree with that, but prove it to me. Okay. Well, there's the passage in Philippians. Um, Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 13. Uh, yeah. yeah, this is big. Of course, this is another letter written by Paul. And he says, uh, verse 11, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Wow. I have to pause here. You know, this this verse has been powerful to me in my life because Well, we, you're married we to me. <laughs> you're married to me. You need you have learned to be content in the most adverse of circumstances. Yeah. Well, I, I let's not go there. But no, even as a young child, <laughs> what even do you mean? <laughs> let's not go there. Is it that bitter? Is no, it that bitter? Not. All right. I have a good life. You've given me a good life. But listen, starting from a young, young age, I moved a lot. And sure. my, my dad moved me a lot. And now our life and ministry, we've moved a lot. And not only do I take this encouragement from Paul as he meant it, but I also take it in my own little way by saying whatever state I am in. In other words, whatever state I'm living in, I can be content because God will take care of me, meaning, uh, you know, Colorado, California, Maryland, it doesn't matter. So that's that's how meaningful this is to me. But let's continue. He okay. says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. So both extremes. Right. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And here's the famous verse here. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right. Wow. So Paul says it doesn't matter what happens to him. It doesn't matter what he has or what he doesn't have. His circumstances don't affect how he how content he is. He's thankful to be in a relationship with his creator. So imagine what life could be like if we all had that attitude. If we all had the ability to be thankful no matter what was going on in our right. lives. See, stuff, you'll notice, stuff doesn't lead to contentment. Either having stuff or lack of stuff, hardship uh, or ease, those things aren't what make a person happy. Mm -hmm. And I I mean, it's not that I've perfected what Paul's talking about myself. There are days where I find myself, well, having a, you know, a grump on. And, uh, We're all human. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I'd <laughs> sure. only be happier if. But uh, I've noticed that a lot, of, a little bit of gratitude goes a long way to making a person actually happy. You know, yeah. I think about this. Today, you and I are doing okay. I don't think anyone in the world would call us wealthy, not by North American standards. Probably by some third world standards, yeah, we're fabulously wealthy. But by North American standards, no, pretty, not pretty even average. close. Sure. But, you know, I could think back to a day when we had nothing. Nothing. That's we had sure. old hand-me-down furniture. We had those love seats from your parents that the cat had clawed the armrest on, had holes in it. Yeah. And we had a kitchen yeah. table from a family friend. They had lost their son. And, and that, uh, was, uh, that was even a loaner. We didn't even know Oh, that. Oh, we didn't get to keep... I wondered what happened to yeah, that. Did no, you give that back? Yeah, they loaned it to us. Yeah, we gave it back oh, eventually. Oh, <laughs> so it was a loaner table. So yeah. we had these stupid, stupid couches. Your mother gave them to us. I am really sorry, Peg. They weren't stupid couches. Well, they were... They were old. They were old and torn up. They were That's torn up. We right, them. right. Mm -hmm. Right. And a kitchen table that we had to borrow. We had no money in the bank. We had cheap clothes. We ate cheap food. We had to work several jobs. One time I was working three jobs at once just to pay yeah. the rent. But let me ask you this. Were we less happy then when we are now? Oh, definitely not. Even not even close, right? No. I can think of times when we didn't own a home and we were happier than when we did. Mm -hmm. I can think of times when we owned nothing but junk and we were happier than when we had times just a, a little bit easier. Sure. Let me show yeah. you something interesting from the yeah. book of Psalms. This is going to be a really strange passage to turn to at this point because this passage deals with, well, the agony of Christ on the cross. But there is a gem buried in this verse that I think everybody ought to see. Okay. This is a prophecy of uh, the crucifixion of Christ. And you'll hear it right away. Psalm 22. 
Verse 1. And this prefigures Jesus crying out on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning. So that doesn't sound at all like contentment or happiness. In fact, it's the opposite. But, mm-hmm. but let's keep going. Verse 2. Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season and am not silent. Now, here comes the big part. Verse 3. Listen to this. This is powerful when you really let it sink in. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Mm, enthroned in the, so yeah. where is God's throne according to this? Yeah. It's in, in the, the praises, praises of Israel. Praises. Right. Israel, and right. we by extension are, are the spiritual children of Israel. Right. So our praise. Children of Abraham. This is a yeah. picture of God seated in, he- in the heavenly sanctuary. There would be a good topic for a show. Mm-hmm. The earthly sanctuary was built according to a pattern, Exodus 25. God said, build exactly what I show you. And Hebrews 8 tells us it was patterned after a sanctuary in heaven. Right. It was a model of God's throne room. And the Ark of the Covenant represented God's throne. He would speak to Moses from above the Ark of the Covenant. And what we have here in this psalm is a picture of God actually living in the praises of his people. His camp was right in the middle of the camp of Israel. And this is a picture of how it's supposed to be. And what it tells me is that you are never closer to God than when you are praising him. Why? Because you've just stepped back into that original relationship. You are honoring God. You're blessing God. You're worshiping God. You're praising God. And then God is, you know, once you've reconnected with God, he takes responsibility for your contentment. Mm -hmm. Here it is. You are never, here's the big takeaway for today, for Thanksgiving. You are never closer to God than when you are busy thanking him for who he is and what he's done for you. You are never closer. If you feel distant from God, start praising him. But I don't feel like it. I know you might not feel like it some days, but start it anyway. This is the secret of happiness. You will never find happiness for yourself because you were designed to find it in God. And if you cultivate the habit of gratitude, you're going to find yourself, first of all, more content, and second of all, feeling far closer to God than when you cultivate the habit of dwelling on yourself and making yourself the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. Powerful, Sean. Um... With that in mind, there's another psalm that I think is beautiful for Thanksgiving. And that's Psalm 107. Let's read verses 1 and 2 right at the very beginning. All right. The psalmist says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. So there's that attitude of gratitude that we were talking about. You made it a poem again, didn't you? Well, yeah. Yeah, Attitude of gratitude. Hardly original work, but yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and he continues. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Wow. So not only do we find contentment and happiness in thanking God, but we find even deeper contentment in sharing God with other people. I know that's so very true. Sure. It says that let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Isn't there a song, a hymn with yeah, that I in think, it? Yeah, I think so. It's coming, popping into my mind. But in other words, if you are thankful for what God has done, tell someone, say so, say it out loud, because not only will other people hear it and hopefully find the same cause of happiness that you found, but by repeating it, it actually makes that gratitude a habit. Um, it entrenches it. You know, um, there have been st- scientific studies that have shown that journaling, what you're thankful for on a regular basis, right. even daily, has an impact on your physical health. Sure it does. It's, it's, it's part of what we're meant to be. 
Right. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. All right. Here's the big controversy. We're gone only just a few minutes left in the show, but well, the big you, controversy. Yeah. Here. You and I have talked about this many right. times. So here in just a couple minutes, Sean, I have to ask you, um, you talked about the different dates for Easter that Chris, yep. Christians had, etc. So we were born in Canada. We were yeah. married on Thanksgiving weekend, which in Canada happens early October. Yep. Americans, of course, were selling braiding ours at the end of November. Uh, which one came first? Yeah, I know. My That's brother and I argue question. about this all the Is Canadian <laughs> Thanksgiving the real Thanksgiving or is American Thanksgiving the real yeah. Thanksgiving? And you can get into quite a heated discussion. Um, okay, here's what I know. Here comes the truth. Uh, the first Thanksgiving in Canada, the official holiday known as Thanksgiving, 1957, right? People were already kind of uh, celebrating a harvest festival, but in 1957, the Canadian Parliament actually made the second Monday in October Canadian Thanksgiving. Okay, right? that's when it was so official. So 1957, in official. But okay. it, it was based on an earlier celebration. You can go all the way back to 1517-8. Martin Frobisher has crossed the Atlantic. He's in Newfoundland. He wants to celebrate his safe arrival. And so he throws a big party of thankfulness. Now, it wasn't really a harvest festival, just a Thanksgiving meal where they were thankful to God for the care that he gave them and, and he watched them on their way over the ocean. And over time, other immigrants kind of added to the tradition, and it kind of grew into this informal thing, but it doesn't become a holiday until 1957. Okay. 1957. That's the official. Got okay. it. Okay. Now let's go to America. Okay. You get American Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. uh, the roots of it start 43 years after Martin Frobisher back in 1578. Mm -hmm. We go 43 years into the future, 1621. We go to Plymouth Plantation in Massachusetts. Of course. And that's mm -hmm. when the, uh, I can't pronounce the name of the tribe, Wampanoag. Oh, uh, I won't even try. Well, the <laughs> Indians. All right. They taught that. Everyone knows the story here in America. Sure. They taught the pilgrims how to survive in the new world, and they saved them from starvation. So the roots of it in America are later, 1621. Uh -huh. They actually, the roots of, of a Thanksgiving-style festival or feast is a little earlier in Canada. Okay. But, but. Even though the practice is older in Canada, Thanksgiving becomes a national holiday in the United States during FDR's time in the White House, and it becomes an official holiday in 1941. So the official holiday is older Earlier. in America, yeah. and the practice is older in Canada. Okay. So everybody gets huh. to win on this one, so or everybody win -win. gets to lose. Yeah, one or the other. But can you imagine? Everyone kind of grows up thinking Thanksgiving's been a holiday forever, and it's been celebrated forever, but it's not actually a federal holiday till 1941. There's a great kids' book, and I can't remember what it's called, that I read with our girls when they were little about the lady I think her name was Sarah who petitioned constantly to here in the U.S. make Thanksgiving an official holiday and yeah, we have her to thank for it being official not mm -hmm. until 1941 not, yeah. not until the year before you were born <laughs> Oh, you're going to end on that note? <laughs> yeah, no, no. Uh, well, no. Hey, people will point out Europeans have had festivals of harvest gratitude for centuries. And, of course, you can go to the New Testament or the Old Testament. The Israelites had the wave sheaf offering where they would thank God for the first part of the harvest that had already ripened and thanking God that the rest of the harvest would come. And, of course, the Bible points to Jesus as the great down payment on our future. Yes. And he was the first fruits, the first one to rise from the dead. And we can be thankful because... Because of the cross of Christ, here's the big reason to be thankful, especially as Christians. Jesus rose from the dead. One day we'll rise from the dead too. Death does not have an eternal grip on us because our loving God wants that same symbiotic relationship back. He wants Amen. to live in harmony with us and the world made new and bring back this relationship where we live for the glory of God and he lives for the glory or for the good of the human race. We are out of time. I can hear the music playing. Have a great Thanksgiving holiday, everybody. Thanks for listening to Disclosure. You can find everything at voiceofprophecy.com. Until next time.